successful media and public affairs consultant, accomplished entrepreneur and national writer and contributor, attorney who served in the Missouri House of Representatives, worked in the White House and CNN, thought leader, entrepreneur, and host who takes the conversation to the next level. Prepare to get rare access to fascinating guests. You're connected. You have the it factor. You've joined Grill Nation. Connect with Jason on Twitter at Jason Grill. Connect with the show on Twitter at Grill Nation Show and online at GrillNationShow.com. Welcome your host of Grill Nation. Always dressed up and ready to go even in a radio studio. Here's Jason Grill. Hello and welcome to the Grill Nation Show here on 980 AM. I'm your host, Jason Grill. Thanks for listening today. If you're joining me on the radio, I appreciate it. Or if you're joining me via podcast on iTunes or at our website, GrillNationShow.com. You connect with me on Twitter at Jason Grill and search for me on social media by my name, or also you can connect with us on Twitter at Grill Nation Show. I want to thank our partners and supporters of the show. Before we get to our awesome guests today, it's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to have a lot of interesting topics on today's show. Title sponsors of the show are BOK Financial and Two West Companies, and contributors of the Grill Nation show include the KCADC, that's the Kansas Area Development Council, and Tim Cowden. And our guest uh, who is contributing to the show today and bringing on some awesome guests is Port KC, a great contributor to the Grill Nation show. They join us uh, very uh, frequently every other month or so and uh, really bring a lot to the table as far as information and exciting guests. And today is no different. We're actually going to talk about a couple topics on today's show. First off, we're joined today by Joe Perry, who's the Vice President of Development at Port KC. Welcome to the show, Joe. How are you? I'm great. Thanks, Jason. It's great to have you back. You were here in March and uh, excited to have you joining us today for our two interview segments. Uh, we're going to start off today talking about the Kansas City Streetcar uh, with their communications director, Donna Mandelbaum. How are you, Donna? Hey, good morning. It's great to see you. I haven't seen you in a long time, but I met you years ago uh, when you were working in communications uh, as a consultant and also uh, doing stuff in Kansas City, Missouri. And I think you were at a time at uh, working on campaigns and doing all those things. Yes. Yeah. I met you through uh, the Mike Burke campaign. Yes. Back in the day, we were just reminiscing about that. Uh, (laughs) Man, time flies, right? I know it. We're still here. So you're still here. And now you're, uh, you're communications director at the Kansas City Streetcar Authority. And we have talked about, and obviously we're going to talk about how you're connected to the, to the port and to the riverfront, but, uh, we've talked about the streetcar many times, but we've never actually had someone on the show who represents the streetcar authority. And so this is a new thing for us. 200 and some shows in. Um, so first off, tell us about yourself, and then I want to get into kind of why you're here and how you related, uh, the streetcar relates to the extension going, hopefully going on in the riverfront area, Berkeley Riverfront. So yes. let's learn about you first. Real yeah, briefly. well, thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, Yes, I'm the communications director with the Kansas City Streetcar Authority. I've been with the streetcar since the beginning and actually um, during construction of the downtown line. So um, I'm very passionate about my job. I love the streetcar. I've seen it when it was just um, thoughts on a paper. And now we're celebrating three and a half years in service and 7.4 million rides. So, um, yeah, we keep growing. We have six streetcars now. We started with four, and now we have six, um, and we are about to start um, four streetcar service all day Saturday 
for the rest of the year. We tried this out this summer where we put four streetcars on the route on Saturdays since it is our biggest days. It was so successful and we were able to carry people quickly to where they needed to go and their wait times were short that we decided to do that all year long. And your uh, Twitter is at Casey Streetcar. Uh, and uh, like you said, so when did the, when do we actually start building the streetcar? I always forget because it opened in 2016. Yes, our opening day was May 6, 2016. We broke ground in uh, 2014. Okay, yeah. so it took about two years yeah. of, of, of construction. Definitely a solid 18 months because we also upgraded the water and sewer lines. Um, beneath our tracks, and we had to do a lot of utility work. There were like 22 different utilities under the Main Street, and then we started placing track down. Joe, before we get to how you're involved with the uh, streetcar, I want to actually kind of do a retrospect about the downtown line. You said, you you know, this is, you know, in Kansas City sometimes people are uh, afraid of new things, right? Afraid of change, afraid of uh, we're going to invest in something. Uh, but this streetcar, from everything I've seen, uh, has been one of the most successful in the country. I would have to agree with that. So it worked. <laughs> it definitely worked. Yeah, we didn't know how this would work. Uh, we thought an average daily ridership would be 2,700. We now see average daily ridership of 6,300. Um, mm. Our highest ridership day happened this past July at over 19,000 rides in that one day. So uh, it's continuing to grow every Every month over month, we have growth year over year. So um, Kansas City seems to like us. It's a 2.2-mile two, two uh, streetcar, and you mentioned you're going to have six cars running seven days a week. Um, tell us again what the hours are on that. That is always something I'm curious about. Yes. As somebody who doesn't live downtown anymore, um, I, I, I just need to know because a lot of people ask me that. What, what are the hours for the streetcar? So the streetcar runs every single day, even on holidays. So we're a 365 service. We run Monday through Thursday, 6 a.m. to midnight. Friday and Saturday, six. well, Friday, 6 a.m. to 2 a.m. Saturday, 7 a.m. to 2 a.m. And Sunday, 7 a.m. to 11 p.m. So pretty full service. We're right? always there. <laughs> always. A um, lot of economic development has happened on the streetcar line. Yes, um, since the streetcar project was announced, so not construction, but announced, we've seen um, probably close to $3 billion in development um, around the streetcar line and east and west of the line, a couple of blocks. Uh, we've seen the dynamics of downtown change dramatically. We've got so much going on in the river market, crossroads. Um, it's definitely changed the landscape. Lots of new hotels, residential units, and even large uh Commercial website is kcstreetcar.org. Joe Joe Perry from the port from Port KC, kind of tell us how uh, your involvement and and you know I know we're going to break this down more as we look forward to the future of the streetcar. But um, you know what what's going on with you guys and the streetcar? I know there's there's an extension line that's yep. going to change things for you guys, even make it more access to what you're all doing down there. Well, just what Donna said about development happening around the streetcar and the active current 2.2 mile line. Mm -hmm. Port KC uh, management and board about a year and a half ago entered it into a, a partnership with the KCATA, the city and the streetcar authority to start studying the feasibility of bringing the streetcar to the river, Berkeley riverfront. Right. When we started that project, the reason was we have a lot of land. We're the largest single contiguous landowner in the greater downtown area with, with, 55 developable acres. And we thought mm -hmm. with the success, we ought to be looking at what would it take? 
is it feasible? So when we started that process, I went to cities, and when I went to those cities to look at their streetcar lines, they said, do you know Donna Mandelbaum? And that's how that conversation <laughs> always started and ended. Celebrity. <laughs> but um, she actually set up most of the trips that we took. But but at the end of the day, the, the answer was yes. It's, it's economically feasible. Then we just started in the design process and, and looking at ways that we could, as a public purpose developer, find ways to get the streetcar sooner rather than later. Cities struggle with undeveloped land because you wait for the development that will then pay for the streetcar mm. or whatever other kind of fixed transit you want to put in. And we thought we, we might want to be more like Denver or Portland or Charlotte that figured out ways to bring the streetcar in in advance of development so you can have the bigger, more dense, more urban, um, smarter development that you get when transit's already there when you build the building. Mm -hmm. So that was the goal, and we're well on our way to doing that. And, and we're excited to have that partnership with all those entities so that we can at least have a great shot at, at getting that done. We're going to talk more about that after the break, uh, more about streetcar extension to the Berkeley Riverfront as well as streetcar extension and other places in Kansas City and what that means to a larger transit system uh, east, west, and north. You're listening to Grill Nation Show. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Grill Nation show on 980 AM. I'm your host, Jason Grill. I thank you for joining us again today. I appreciate you listening to us each and every week, whether it's on the radio or via podcast or on our website, grillnationshow.com. I'm going to post photos of our guests today, as well as all of our old shows to the website. And you can find more information about our social media and our great contributors on the website, grillnationshow.com. We're talking to Joe Perry from Port KC and Donna Mandelbaum from the Kansas City Streetcar Authority, uh, communications director there. We're having an interesting conversation about the extension. Let's continue there to the uh, Berkeley Riverfront. Um, tell us more about that. Whoever wants to start, because I think, I think anyone that's been to the riverfront knows, um, it's, it's, it's not the easiest place to get to right now. And you guys are working to improve that with the streetcar connection, also some bike paths and whatnot. Tell us more about kind of where that's at and what you're excited about. And then we're going to get to the grander transportation of how this is all going to fit in together. So obviously Port KC has been busy working on development down there. Um, Thankfully. Yeah. It's unbelievable what's mm -hmm. happening. And. As Joe was saying in an earlier segment, um, we wanted a better connection between the riverfront and the rest of downtown. So a streetcar to Berkeley Riverfront would do that. But in addition, this project is looking at better bicycle and pedestrian connections right now. If you take your bike on the Grand Street Viaduct where you are walking down there, you know, your life is in your hands. Um, <laughs> you can take the, um, the town of Kansas Bridge. Uh, but it's a little off ways, or you could go down Lydia, I believe it is, yeah. and, and access the riverfront. Um, this project is looking at creating a standalone bicycle pedestrian only bridge to connect you from downtown 
to Berkeley Riverfront. Um, this would not have any streetcars or automobiles on it. It's just for um, pedestrians and bicyclists. And I think that in itself is super exciting. Um, we have that wonderful development barquet down at Berkeley Riverfront now. Um, this, so this would be a great connection for those um, dog lovers to, to walk safely down to the riverfront. So mm-hmm. we're looking at public transit and other multimodal transit connections to Berkeley Riverfront. Joe, that changes the game, right, for you guys? Oh, absolutely. You know, if it wasn't for the streetcar and the success of the streetcar, as uh, the person that's supposed to be leading the development charge on Berkeley Riverfront, I couldn't have proposed to get rid of the second two-lane car bridge and replace it with a bike-ped bridge Mm -hmm. 10 years ago because we couldn't imagine not needing the other two lanes for cars to getting to Berkeley Riverfront to 5 million square feet of development. So – because of the success of the streetcar and because of the great advocacy this city has found for bike pet issues in the last decade, those two things coming together and our success, minor success on the first one-sixth of the riverfront. Is that where we're at now, one-sixth? We're about one-sixth developed of what wow. we have. And, and so when you look at the potential down there, yeah. that doesn't even require uh, include the proposed redevelopment of the 28 acres that we lease to the Isla Capri Casino. Mm-hmm. That company that has that under contract has a 60 to $80 million plan to redevelop that 28 acres. So when you look at all of that potential, it's so exciting to be in a position to add bike ped. And it's about one sixth of the capital budget to do the bike ped. But in many ways, it's getting close to being equally as important as the streetcar itself in the number of customers that come and the ways that people get there and the impacts that has on how many parking spaces do we have to have? How many lanes of traffic do we have to have? Those, those things all have to work together for us to have a really exciting urban environment. And it just opens the door for the regional connections too. And the, the parking, the, the city has exciting conversations going on on the greater downtown parking. I think Bruce Campbell and the people looking at that issue inside of City Hall and outside of City Hall at the downtown council are really looking at really smart and strategic things. And the, with, when we do the streetcar to the riverfront, we have the ability to be that starting point that the streetcar doesn't have today as a Northland parking zone for Mm -hmm. people to come like union station does at the south end yeah and it gives us that opportunity to really anchor that so northland commuters um people coming in on new express services from the airport to downtown it gives you a place to start Mm -hmm. how how long is how long is that connecting going to be for you guys to connect to the river market like if to go on the streetcar how far is that it's about three quarters of a mile okay so it's it's about it's it's not even a half of what you guys did it's before. It's the longest three quarters of a mile. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it's not really that. Um, it's it's about a 30 to $32 million total project cost. That's for everything um, in this project. Um, so it's just a fraction of what we're looking at in our other extension south and then what we did for downtown. Mm-hmm. But getting over onto that bridge is the biggest thing. And what's wonderful is the bridge has been studied and can handle the weight of our streetcar. So um, it's it's not too much work to have to get that um, built with our tracks and get down to the Berkeley Riverfront. 
That's awesome. Um, we're talking about the KC streetcar and also uh, joining me as contributor Port KC. Talk to us about the larger streetcar extension going yeah. south because that's been talked about for a few years now. Um, I think most people wouldn't want that. Uh, they've seen the success of the early line and <clears throat> as a tourist or if people are in town and they're working downtown or whatnot, I mean, it'd be great to go to the plaza on that thing. Yes, and to redevelop all of Midtown, of course. Right, like, and we only, it's already happening, but you know, like, it's going to happen even more after the right. access is better. And you know, we can't just do one thing, so let's just do so many things <laughs> at the same time. Operate a downtown line and work on two extensions. So yes, we are working on two extensions. So the one to Berkeley Riverfront is about thirty percent design right now. We're working on the financing plan for that to move that forward but we're also working on the southern extension down to umkc with the endpoint being at 51st and main that is also at 30 percent design if anyone's interested go to our website at kcstreetcar.org and you can see this wonderful video animation of what the streetcar would look like it is pretty fantastic it really puts the concept um into video form and makes you real excited about this um we have figured out all of the streetcar stops and their locations for the most part um definitely track alignment and we're working on what um might be a transit hub a multimodal transit hub right at the plaza area where it would be a location for a, a connections with our buses as well as the streetcar so that then uh connects us to east west connections with our Ride KC bus partners, um, north-south on the streetcar, as well as other north-south connections on Ride KC Because that's important, you guys, is the larger yeah. uh, extension. Uh, if you guys do this extension south, it can lead to more things, um, potentially an express service to the airport. I mean, everyone in Kansas City wants transportation to improve. Uh, we're such a spread-out city, and there's so many miles, so it's hard, and we're not in a a new Manhattan, right? So we're not we're not jumping on a metro and, and getting anywhere we want to go fast. Um, and it's expensive now. Uh, and so I think that that extension it could lead to a lot of other things. And that's what you all are thinking, correct? Right. Um, transit. We need to get people to where they work and where they live. We right. need better connections for job access. Um, and what we're also seeing with the streetcar is lending to economic development, like we've seen downtown, and what we're seeing start up in midtown as well um we're hoping uh we put out our application for federal funding for the Mm -hmm. southern extension it is a um 330 350 million dollar project what was the first one do we the first the uh, first one was 102 million okay see that's inflation yeah. <laughs> building costs. It, it's a large, yeah, exactly. Building costs. And, and how long is that extension? How many miles is that? This one is About close four to or five? four. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So okay. it's double the, of what we already built. Um, and we want half of that funding to be federal funding so mm-hmm. that it's half local and half other resources. So we did apply for federal funding and we hope to hear early 2020 on our um, status. We have, so what, if they say it's a go, what happens next? And then we just go. <laughs> we just start building. Um, we are actually doing a lot of work behind the scenes. I know it may not seem like it because people can't visually see what we're doing, but we are working right now on getting this project into the engineering phase, which is what the federal government likes to see to be um, funding worthy. Um, 
we are we've received a really great rating this year from them. They do like our project. The FTA uh, thinks this is a very attractive project for funding. Um, so. We have money to continue this project forward in the design phase, and then once we get the federal funding, then we will start um, working on getting into construction. But that also is an indicator for us to turn on our transportation development district, which is how the streetcar is funded long-term for operations and maintenance. Can we do anything to help out with federal funding? <laughs> is there is there any – can we be uh... – People be uh, lobbying people, or how does this yes, work? Yes, please. Okay, so we can write letters to our Congress people mm-hmm. or to whatever administration write, this write is. Letters, or write department, to transportation, transportation committee. Um, Congresswoman Davids has been very um, receptive to the streetcar because she's on that committee. Um, we do talk with our uh, elected officials, but if you can talk to your local elected officials and state and federal, that would be wonderful. Because the city is still involved, of course. The city is involved, yes. Very involved. Um, and they're always looking at new ways to do things, right, and uh, and help out with a lot of transportation. We mentioned that the streetcar we haven't mentioned is free. Uh, and there's a proposal right now, I believe, or there are ordinances that are potentially moving forward to make the buses free in Kansas City as well. So that could be a huge win-win if if we have a free streetcar and free buses. Yeah, zero fare public transit. Zero fare, that's what they call it, huh? Mm-hmm. Uh, Donna, we appreciate you joining us. Tell us how we can connect with you guys again at the uh, streetcar. Yes, follow us on our website, kcstreetcar.org, or on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram at kcstreetcar. Donna Mandelbaum from the Kansas City Streetcar Authority and Joe Perry from Port KC. Thank you for coming on the show. Joe, you're going to stick with us for our next segment. We're going to talk about uh, affordable housing on the uh, Berkeley River front. But, Donna, I appreciate you coming on to talk about the streetcar. Thanks for having me. Thank you. We'll be right back on Grill Nation. Hello and welcome back to the Grill Nation show. I'm Jason Grill, 980 AM. If you're listening on the radio and if you're joining me on iTunes via podcast, we greatly appreciate it. Or at our website, grillnationshow.com. I want to thank contributor to the Grill Nation show again, uh, Port KC, for uh, joining me today. And uh, their website is portkc.com. And for bringing on an awesome guest, we had a great first few segments uh, talking about the streetcar, and now we're going to go into uh, a really exciting topic uh, and things that are actually happening regarding affordable housing on the Berkeley Riverfront. Uh, we're going to bring on Kelly Harabe, who's the Prairie Fire Development uh, Construction founder and co-owner. Um, they are developing a affordable housing, um, a multifamily affordable housing down on the riverfront in Berkeley Riverfront called. Bridgeside Lofts. He has a background uh, in all kinds of urban planning and economic development. We're really going to dive deep into affordable housing as far as uh, what it's, what's going on right now in the future, but also get into this exciting project. I want to welcome to the show Kelly Harabi. How are you, sir? Great. Nice to be here. Thanks. Great to have you. Um, first off, tell us about yourself. You mentioned off-air you have a lot of interesting background and uh, and urban planning, economic development, and uh, now in affordable housing development. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so just uh, my background, real quick, is uh, studied economics uh, in an undergraduate degree in international finance and then have a master's degree in urban planning with a focus on housing economics and community development. So I'm I'm kind of a nerd. I don't I don't have golf clubs, but I do have links to the U.S. Census Bureau and Bureau of Labor <laughs> Statistics. So I spend a lot of my free time just researching data and seeing how, um, you know, household Households are changing and, and economics and those types of things and how it all relates to housing and community development. 
So why did you decide to uh, to leave the economic development space to get into uh, what you're doing now? Yeah, well, um, I know you'd had a lot of a lot of history in economic development work, and sure. Um, well, I just saw through economic development, uh, you know, uh, good things that we were doing in communities, whether it was redevelopment or business recruitment and expansion. But one of the things we always saw was was housing was kind of a fundamental need that always addressed uh, some of the uh, items that these companies were looking for and and redevelopment efforts in neighborhoods. And, and, you know, from a simple economic standpoint in the affordable housing arena, um, the simple fact is the, the demand for this product is far, far outweighs the supply. So just from a simple economic demand curve, um, we felt that there's a, there's a great opportunity in this niche market to go out and provide affordable housing, knowing that whether the economy is good or bad, there's always going to be a need. So that's what I've focused my, my, uh, last 25 years on. And, uh, have really picked up speed lately as the issue becomes more and more important across the country. Mm-hmm. And Joe Perry, how did you guys get connected and why affordable housing as one of the, uh, you mentioned you have 55 acres left of, of development to do on the riverfront um, that's available. Why did you all decide, decide to move forward with affordable housing down there? Well, you know, the riverfront needs to be dynamic in a lot of different ways. And, and who lives there is just one of those things. And, and if it's a monolithic culture with folks at only one income level, it wasn't going to be an exciting urban place. Mm-hmm. So Port KC as a public purpose developer, just we thought it was our mission as being the largest landowner in the greater downtown area to address one of the biggest needs, which is affordable housing. We can never do enough, but it, you know, we couldn't do enough units to make up for the 2,500 that been lost in the last few years off the affordable housing tax credit rolls. And we couldn't do low enough incomes with new development. So we always know that we can't do enough, but we had to do something. Mm-hmm. And so we had to go out and seek people like Kelly and work with for-profit developers in market rate to make sure that they are addressing at least a sliver of the percentage of their units. So we're doing all those things. And luckily, it came together. Uh, Kelly said yes. Other developers have come to us with proposals. Um, but we're going with a proven market leader in affordable housing with Prairie Fire Development with Kelly's company, mm-hmm. and we're we're hoping that we'll have success. Mm-hmm. You mentioned proven, so you did the CP lofts in the river market. Yeah, what was yeah. that project like? That, uh, it was actually a great project. And I think it's an example of uh, good partnerships and how these projects can get done because they are they are challenging in the financing structure and actually getting these projects to a rent level that most people can afford. So in now, that, what is, what does that look like, Kelly? So, um, currently, in, currently, um, I, I think the, uh, the dynamic with at least in Kansas city, Missouri at city hall is very, uh, very optimistic as it relates to this issue. I think there's uh, the city council and I, and the mayor and, and city staff. This is, this is an issue on the forefront of their minds. And I think, mm-hmm. um, given the great people down there and their ideas along with the private sector, we can, and, and groups like Port KC and, PIA and other entities, they say, hey, this is important because for us to be a great city, we need to have a diverse economy. And to have a diverse economy means diverse employers, diverse occupations, diverse incomes, which all requires diverse housing. And I think everybody's starting to finally say, hey, this is important to us. We want to be on the forefront of that. And, you know, Port KC, I commend them for, you know, they could have sold this land at a much higher price to another user, but they say, hey, this is important to us. We want to be one of the forefront 
entities or organizations to help put the formula together to make this work. And as a result, we're, we're out competing for our financing and hopefully it'll. What is CP Lofts like? What has that been like with, yeah, so, with as far as like how that has worked yeah, out? Yeah. And you know, I think again, that's a great example. We need to hear more of these success sure. stories in affordable housing. In Kansas and, City. and this is a, to me, it's a perfect example how to do one of these projects. The city owned the land. Um, they sold it to us at a below market price, which helped with the costs. They provided incentives. They put in a couple million dollars worth of infrastructure, which all that in your capital stack, all that money that goes into your development ultimately allows you to charge rents at a lower rate because your development costs continue to decrease. So in that project, again, we had the support of the neighborhood. We had the support of the city financially and and politically. Um, We had a great team that put the deal together, and and CP Lofts ended up being a a half affordable uh, income-restricted project and half market rate. And what's unique about that project, just like we're proposing for the, the riverfront, is the market rate units, because we have affordable units and housing tax credits in it in our capital stack, it allows us to underwrite our market rate units about 30 40% below the average market. For example, hmm. our most expensive two-bedroom unit at CP Lofts is about 1275 a month, where the average uh, rent for a new construction two-bedroom unit downtown right now is around twenty five. 2500 a month. So even our market rate units are still, because of the tax credits, the support from the city and other agencies allows us to handicap our, even our market rents to where they're still achievable, achievable for folks that, um, you know, may not need an affordable unit, but certainly don't have, you know. And so then more of the workforce folks yeah, and the right. people that are yeah. kind of in between all those areas. Yeah, There's yeah. so many different areas in the city's housing policy of uh, Section Eight versus you know thirty thousand a year versus fifty thousand. I mean, sure, levels. yeah, yeah, and it's and you know and the we're really kind of in the space between forty percent of AMI to eighty percent AMI and market rate. Mm-hmm. Anything typically below that is going to fall more into like public housing and the thirty percent very low income. And there's different programs for that, but the program that we use is um, that came out of the nineteen eighty six uh, tax overhaul is the Section Forty Two Housing Tax Credit. Um, it's very important, and it's been a very successful program for 30 years that it, it incentivized both nonprofits and private developers to go out and do this kind of housing. Um, it has a lot of bipartisan support right now in, in Congress. Um, there's a bipartisan bill that has over 120 uh, uh, U.S. House of Representatives support, then a probably 30 or 40 in the Senate to expand the program because they've seen the success of giving – private developers the tools to go out and do this type of project you know i hear nobody talks about the financing aspect i mean it really is kind of forgotten if we get these things done but it's it's kind of the main point right yeah, you yeah. have to have a bank you have to have people that are willing to absolutely to do this and um you know a lot of developers aren't like you yeah they're not going to do it oh it's it's let me tell you it takes a village um and in fact Right before I came here, I was on a, a conference call. We're, we're getting ready to redevelop the old YMCA building in downtown Kansas City, Kansas, mm, which had been that. sitting vacant for a while. Um, it's using a store. Just drove by it, actually. Yeah. You, you were actually mentioned on the <clears> – <throat> we were with um, one of the council people over there uh, from the Unified Government. Okay. Um, and uh, I was doing a bus tour okay, of KCK with, yeah. the, with the Civic Council, KC Tomorrow Group, and your name came up about four times in the bus by the speaker. <laughs> we drove by the uh, the old place because I used to be a summer clerk at a law firm over there. Okay, And so great. we used to play basketball at lunch yeah. break in that yeah. place, and yeah. I had no idea it was closed, yeah. but it is now. And yeah, so, you're yeah. so we're, uh, yeah, hopefully, fingers crossed, we'll close on it next week. But a good example of this 44-unit senior housing project that will be all affordable historic renovation. I just had our, co- our co- closing conference called before I came here. And there was probably about 
50 people on that closing call to do a 44-unit deal, J.P. Morgan Chase, Chase Bank, um, uh, Affordable Housing Partners, Berkady, and probably about 30 attorneys. So it does take a commitment from organizations, lenders, investors that are in the space to pull together. I mean, just imagine that. We have 50 people on a closing call all to do this 44-unit historic project in downtown Kansas City, Kansas, which shows commitment from lenders and investors, the private sector, and everybody else to get these types of projects done. Where does your all's project stand now with uh, with the uh, Bridgeside Lofts and the uh, Riverfront? Kelly's made application to Missouri Housing Development Corporation. Mm-hmm. And so we're, we'll wait for his successful <laughs> allotment of tax credits so that we can close the property. But we have an option with Kelly's company, with Prairie Fire, that says, you know, hey, he has site control. If he gets these tax credits, he has a place to land. Right. And that that is what, we, you know, that's our play right now. We'll pull that off the, the table for anybody else to look at for development in order for us to uh, to make this concerted effort together. And we have about a minute left. We're going to get into the uh, – in our next segment, get into kind of the future and, and kind of how things have evolved with cities and the tech and all the affordable housing issues. But um, um, there's not – you have a unique background. A lot of these people that are trying to do affordable housing right now don't have the economic development and urban planning background you have. Right. That definitely is a huge help yeah. for you. Yeah, I mean, and like I always – like we are, are saying in our company is, you know, the math shall always set you free. Um, and it's really – it comes down to just the basic demographics. And, for example, in Kansas City, Missouri – 62% of all renters earn less than 50000 a year. 51% earn, earn less than 35000 a year. So you look at that data and you say, okay, well, what are we doing to build product that's going to satisfy those 50%, 60% renters? Because they sure are not going to be able to afford $2,000, $2,500 month in rent. So mm-hmm. um, we look at the data very hard. We don't try to believe our own con. We let the data drive our decisions because we own these properties long term and we want to make sure they're sustainable. Kelly Harabi is talking affordable housing with us today on the Grill Nation show. Thanks to Port KC for bringing him on. And Joe Perry, we'll be right back after the break with more Grill Nation. It's been a long time since I came around. Been a long time, but I'm back in town. When life leaves you high and dry, I'll be at your door tonight if you need help. If you need help. Welcome back to the Grill Nation Show, 980 AM. Thanks for listening today. We appreciate it. I'm Jason Grill. Been a great show so far. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, thanks to Port KC, uh, contributor to the show, for uh, bringing on some really great guests today. We're talking about affordable housing and uh, what's going on in Kansas City with Kelly Harabe, who's the co-founder and founder, excuse me, co-owner and founder of Prairie Fire Development Group. They are working with the Port KC to develop uh, Bridgeside Lofts. Uh, it's going to be awesome. We're going to have some really cool things uh, involved with that. Kelly has a rich history in economic development, urban planning, and, and now into affordable housing uh, development. Uh, Kelly, you mentioned off air just how cities are evolving, and a lot of it has to do with technology and, and many variables, uh, including the cost of housing going up, and we know it's going to continue to go up. I mean, how do you guys evaluate all these things? And you obviously have looked to other cities probably to see what they're doing as well. Sure. Yeah, other cities and states and counties, as the issue becomes more and more prevalent and important. And why do you think it'll become more prevalent and important? I'm going to cut you off there because I know that it's. it seems to me in my life, because you know we're playing inside baseball here with city council and with, mm-hmm. with everything that Port KC does, but – to the general person, why is this? Well, I, I think I think coming more. Newsworthy. I think because uh, it, it's starting to permeate 
into the middle class. Affordable housing just isn't for all those poor people anymore. It, that that still exists, but you know, for example, we're in a lot of rural markets right now. We're in Iowa, rural Iowa, rural, rural Nebraska, rural Kansas, rural Missouri, and and maybe 10, 15 years ago, to go into those communities and talk about affordable housing, you get run out of town. But now we have those cities calling us saying, hey, the cost of con- building is so expensive in our town. We have 0% unemployment. Uh, Harlan, Harlan, Iowa, we have no, we have, we have to buy a bus to bring people in from Omaha. We need housing here. We have good jobs that pay good wages, mm-hmm. but they can't afford a $400,000 house. So I think as those issues from economic development, business recruitment, expansion start to impact the housing choices in their communities, it's going to become more prevalent. I think in Kansas City, Missouri, again, um, we've focused a lot on great redevelopment downtown and great, you know, a new airport going up, but, you know, there's still that underlying current of, you know, half the renters earn less than 35000 a year. So how can we start to provide housing for those folks that want to be part of the rebirth of downtown, want to be re- part of living the plaza, all the folks that, that live here and, 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 and uh, play and work. So, And many, there's not many developers really doing this kind of thing. And my, and my, yeah, most people are like, how do, we build a, <laughs> how do we build a brand new multifamily that, you know, we can, we can put all the nice bells and whistles on, have all sure. the amenities and then, Charge twenty five hundred dollars for the right. two bedroom, right? Right, and, yeah. and you're still making a, such a small margin on even that. Right, uh, there's very little margins in this real estate development right. game. Right, um, and so that's interesting. Um, sorry to cut you off. You're, we're talking about different technology and different variables. Yeah, you know, in other cities, um, and I know there's been talk in uh, Kansas City about a housing trust fund. You know, how do we how do we raise other sources because it has to be more localized. You and know, Denver's done some of that because yeah. I, I I was at a hearing the other day and. Uh, they actually, the city staff was talking about the Denver program, and the council on the committee, yeah. the housing committee, requested what they did yep. to see if we could we could not have to reinvent the wheel. Right, right, and just things like uh, adding an extra fee on your building permit, um, buying out of or opting out of uh, putting affordable units in your property by putting money into a fund. Um, you know, a big issue, and I think Lawrence, Kansas, even did this: put a sales tax on the on the ballot, and it passed. And that part of that sales tax goes to a fund to help sub- subsidize part of the sources of financing for affordable housing. And again, when you take a sales tax to community and they say, yeah, this is important. We, we need this because it's, again, it impacts everybody in a community, whether it's a senior, a veteran, a hardworking, you know, family, uh, disabled. There's a lot of people in these communities that need this type of housing, just not enough getting built. People aren't really, some people still don't think of it like that, right? Right. I think it's just people that are very poor. That's yeah, all it yeah, affects. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, again, I was just at a council meeting last night uh, trying to, educate folks in the community about what this type of housing really is and who lives there. These are people that are earning an income. They work in the local grocery store. They work at the, you know, they're a sheriff. Coincidentally, in this meeting last night, as soon as we were done, I had two police officers come up to me and say, hey, can we get on your waiting list? We had a couple city staff people say, I'm tired of commuting into this community. I want to live here, but there's no place to live of either quality or at the affordable rent. So, I think you start to break down that stereotype and show people what, particularly in what we do in the in the housing tax credit world, what the type of folks living in these communities and and what they earn in the community and their their contributions they make in the community, they all deserve a place to live. So, mm-hmm. and but again, you're you're very uh, realistic and reasonable person, and so sometimes you're going to have one side saying things are never enough. Yeah. They want everything free, right. and then you have one side saying we're not willing to budge on anything. There has to be a common ground. Sure, there has to be a public-private yeah. common ground. Yep. And I think um, you know, to the testament last night, uh, you know, we we got our 
rezoning approved by the city council because they, even though there were folks in the audience that were opposed to what we were doing, not necessarily for the affordable housing, but just type of structure, but to the city council's uh, testament, they said, no, this is, this, this is a priority for us. We, for our, for our economy to grow, for our community to grow, we need more of this type of housing here because it's not being built. It just, the cost of development is too high. So we want to do what we can for the developer to bring this housing to our community and help diversify our economy. Joe, um, you know, this is going to change things on the riverfront, uh, one, to make it more diverse and more options, but two, we talked about transportation options uh, growing in Kansas City in our first few segments with Donna Mandelbaum from the Kansas City Streetcar Authority. Um, how does this help Port KC kind of in the long run, the riverfront, by getting affordable housing, by getting the streetcar? How does this all kind of mesh together for future development? So Port KC is about jobs and transportation and commerce and riverfront specific if we're going to get to the next level of development of higher densities and, and diverse uses like office and entertainment retail, we're going to have to have people of all income levels living on the riverfront. That's the affordable housing need. That's the mixed income need. To If we're going to put in several thousand units of, of residential on the riverfront, we need some that are affordable to beginning school teachers and firefighters mm-hmm. and police officers and people that work in that community. Um in service retail, but we also need transportation options. So what we were talking with Donna bike pad and, and, and park and ride for commuters. And so when we look to those other uses, those developers, they need the rooftops, but they also need the other services and the diverse incomes of people and the diverse options to get people there in the transportation. So we need both of those things working together. We have entertainment developers looking at the riverfront, they're rather low density. We, we look at some of those and we think oh, that could go anywhere in Kansas City. But if we're really going to do something that the riverfront and the front door of Kansas City deserves, we're going to have to have some of these other options. So it is very self-serving for the Port KC board and, and our executive staff to look at development of, of affordable housing from what does it give us? Not we have to do it. Someone ask us to do it. It's a have-to moment for us. We really need that in order to be a vital place for these other bigger, denser, mm-hmm. um, attractive units for downtown Kansas City. Things that you really need to, to make it a, a destination and to really make it a community. That's right. Uh, which is we've been waiting for for years on that riverfront. And yeah. so I'm, now I'm glad that it's finally coming to a head, right? You bet. It's exciting. Uh, Kelly, we have a few seconds left on the show. How do people connect with your company and learn more about uh, your affordable housing projects? Sure. Um, you can just visit our website at prayfiredg.com. And uh, we even have a page on there that describes what affordable housing is, what it isn't, and can give you a little bit more information on on what we do. So. Kelly Harabe, co-owner and founder of Prairie Fire Development Group. Uh, thanks for all you do, and thanks for uh, coming on the show. It's been a lot of fun to talk to you. And to Joe Perry, Vice President of Development at Port KC, about what's going on in Kansas City and how actually things are actually happening uh, on, on the riverfront and uh, in areas that are really important as far as transportation options and affordable housing. Two things that people in town are, are, are yearning for. Uh, finally, things are moving forward, which is exciting. So I appreciate both of you coming on the show and uh, educating our listeners on both of these things. You got it. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks a lot, Joe. You've been listening to Grill Nation Show. We'll see you again next week. Take care.